Uh, very good morning to you. Um, my name's Mike. Uh, I'm a retired Baptist minister, uh, retired teacher of religious studies and philosophy. And uh, in my retirement, as I coast through happily, uh, I'm also on staff here with the very pretentious title of tutor in theology. And our last in a run of looking at big questions is to look at the question of science and faith. Oh, I left my rock behind. Um, now, imagine a few years ago, I was uh, on the top of Mount Sinai in Egypt, as you do. Um, I'd traveled six hours by coach to get there from Sharm el-Sheikh. I'd walked up in the dark with a guide to get to the top at nighttime so I could see dawn from the top of Mount Sinai. I'd run out of puff halfway up and had to rent a donkey and uh, <laughs> got, got to the top. Yeah, you, you have these, these little Bedouin chaps who, uh, who pop out from a gap in the rocks and say, donkey, and then you negotiate the price. And on my way down, having uh, seen the dawn, uh, colourfully portrayed there for us, uh, having seen the dawn, uh, I was wandering down, looking forward to a full English breakfast at St Catherine's Monastery, and uh, another Bedouin popped his head out and told me that he had some stuff for sale. Um, and this is what caught my eye there. Um, this is uh, a fossil from Mount Sinai. And um, after a brief but animated discussion, when he explained what I was offering and was going to cause his children to starve, I did acquire this. Uh, and it struck me as, a, as like an interesting starting thought. Because um, for those who study the Bible, the dating of Moses and the Exodus is one of the most interesting things to try and explore. And the traditional dating that many Christians uh, use puts the date there at around 1,500 years before Jesus. Uh, and this, uh, I'm not entirely sure of the age, but this, as far as I can research, is somewhere between um, 100 and 200 million years old. Um, and dates and things like that tie into the whole business of science and faith. So when we look at science and faith, uh, what we're going to be doing is mixing up a whole load of different stuff and trying to understand what is happening. And this, uh, as we've already noted, is a slightly strange sequence of teaching um, because one of the purposes is to help us to engage with questions. So bringing out my inner teacher, I thought I'd actually tell you what my learning objectives are for you. Uh, and the first of these is to explain different ways in which science and faith can be considered. Uh, some of those, uh, in fact three out of the four, are coherent. And one of the coherent ways is the science-only way. There is a coherent argument there. This may be a shock to some of you who come to church expecting to be told what to believe. But today we will have a smorgasbord of possible ways in which you can understand and explain things. But also, um, though some of you might be in a position of still debating, either publicly or privately, the truth of the matters between science and faith, um, others of you might need to be able to explain this better 
to those in your circle of friends who are not yet followers of Jesus. Uh, so I hope to equip you to do that. And on Thursday, I'll be off to uh, New Wine, I think for the 22nd time, to run a venue there where people who have not yet come to faith in Jesus uh, often tell me that they have done so many alphas and failed all of them. Uh, come to explore these issues. If you're there in the second week, come and help make the coffee. So here are three sort of big titles of ways that we can look at this. Uh, you can say that science overshadows faith. There are some who hold that position and some with very good reasons. There are some who say that faith will overshadow science and some who say that faith and science can, as we heard in the children's talk earlier, be friends. Now, why do we look at this? Here's, uh, well, two Bible verses, two things that Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if Jesus is the truth then in my teaching of religion and philosophy, I've always said, be fearless and look at everything. Because if you're looking for truth, you're looking for Jesus. Don't ever come to something and say, I think that's true, but I can't believe it because I'm a Christian. Truth is the heart of Jesus' nature. And bear in mind with some of the things we'll look at shortly, uh, Jesus said something which I only discovered a few years ago, despite having studied the Bible in the Greek and the Hebrew for half a century. Uh, you know, you're always picking up new things. And uh, Jesus has said, love the Lord your mind with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And Jesus adds all your mind. Uh, the first three are there in the Old Testament. I don't know what your theology of Bible inspiration is, but Jesus feels free to add truth to something that is in the Old Testament. Uh, so there we are. First option, science overshadows faith. And here we have to think, first of all, uh, about Richard Dawkins. Uh, Richard Dawkins, who says, faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of even perhaps because of the lack of evidence. Now, uh, I, I believe quite strongly that you need to try and understand people before you debate with them. And there are things when you try to evaluate Richard Dawkins that are actually helpful. Uh, some of his insights I've been encouraged by, and he, you may or may not agree with me on this one, uh, but he uh, argues very passionately there are no Christian children there are no Muslim children. Now, of course, my Baptist theology may be slightly different from Anglican theology on this, uh, but the Baptist practice is to do what we've done here today and dedicate a child, um, knowing that child is loved and embraced by God, but also aware that they have not yet made a decision to follow God in any of the different religious patterns. So uh, I agree with Richard Dawkins on this, uh, that there comes a stage where a child nurtured, loved, and valued within the Christian family, and even within Anglican theology, who is part of the church, is not yet a Christian until they've looked at the evidence, come to a response, and decided that they want to follow Jesus. I also think some of the things he says are quite amusing. And uh, one of the things he has commented on is to say um, that atheists just re sorry, reject one more God. So you probably have chosen not to worship Baal. You've probably chosen not to worship Thor. And I think it's a rather neat point that he makes that he just adds one more to the list. 
Um, so atheists, atheists, by the way, say there is no God. Agnostics have not yet heard the evidence completely enough to make a decision. Um, Dawkins does also recognize that you cannot prove that there is no God. In fairness to him, I put alongside that, you cannot prove that there is a God. Though there is a long tradition of uh, philosophy of religion, which, in my view, uh, makes the argument in favor of God so strong that you uh, might find it hard to reject. But you cannot prove no God, and you cannot prove there is a God. But there are a couple of things in Dawkins that are a little bit trickier. Um, his use of evidence is very, very highly selective, and some of the ways he talks about faith are not only unhelpful, but potentially um, damaging in relation to one or two faith groups, particularly the way he talks about Islam. Uh, so as a summary, uh, the target of Dawkins' critique is not uh, the faith that you or my, I might experience around us, but it is within Christianity a very literalist fundamentalism, which he argues against, and uh, religious terrorism, which he doesn't always filter out as well as he might from the broader uh, and more pacific Islam that exists. So this is the only option that I'm going to say to you is one that I don't find coherent. And I don't find it coherent because he has not looked adequately at the whole range of evidence. Uh, I've never seen in any of the things I've read from him uh, a description of Christian faith as a God who loves you so much more than you can ever possibly imagine. A God whose arms are open to welcome you back into relationship with himself. A God who looks at all the things that have gone wrong in your life and rather than condemning and shaming you, says, oh, it could be so much better if only you and I were reunited in the relationship you were designed for. So a God who loves to embrace you and help you and change you and help you to become the woman or man that he first dreamed you should be. Now, this is not Dawkins' language. And what I would appreciate in his writing is an attempt to recognize that that is the authentic message of Jesus. And if he wants to engage with that, to engage with that, but not simply put up a false target of a specific shape of faith and then shoot it down. End of little rant. Um, let's have another look, though, at science um, overshadowing faith. Uh, and this is um, Hawking. Um, and uh, I, I rather like what he says. Uh, he says, what I have done is to show that it is possible for the way the universe began to be determined by the laws of science. In that case, it would not be necessary to appeal to God to decide how the universe began. This doesn't prove that there is no God, only that, and we're thinking in terms of argument, that God is not necessary. Now, I don't agree. Uh, I think that the whole weight of evidence, uh, when I go to New Wine on Thursday, uh, I, I carry with me a balance scale. Not a sophisticated one, it's a child's one for doing maths. But a balance scale, and I invite people to put things on the side in favour of faith and on the side against faith. And my firm conviction is that when you do that honestly, the thing goes a great clunk down on the side in favour of faith. 
The uh, New Wine team actually helped me to mend this when it got broken once. Um, I found out what they'd done is they'd hammered in extra nails on the in favor of faith side. <laughs> So, so that actually, even if you put nothing onto either side of it, it clunked down in favour of faith. But, but fair enough. Now, um, uh, Stephen Hawking, um, uh, very interesting little book called, I think, Big Questions, or uh, Answers to Big Questions. Um, this is a valid and a coherent conclusion. Uh, you will know as well as I do, there are people who, who look at the evidence, sometimes in great depth, and come to the conclusion that they cannot believe. Now, one of the joys of my life has been to help a number of people come to make a decision to follow Jesus, and some of those have um, spent a long, long time rejecting faith. For me, it was only four and a half years as resident atheist in a South London church before the weight of the love of Jesus and the love of Christians brought me to a point of conviction. But it is a valid place to be. And he also, in another of his writings, Hawking says, there is a certain underlying order to the universe. And when we come to look at the different Christian perspectives, there are questions of what evidence is there of order and could it all be explained in terms of randomness? And so I need my notes for this last bit because my brain is aged and failing. Ah, that's the one I wanted, right, okay. So um, uh, something that um, Dawkins, I think, would do, do well to acknowledge uh, more publicly is the very extensive number of people who are academics in different disciplines and affirm faith in God. See, my, my own dad was a scientist. Um, he, he was actually a world authority on the rates of growth of the Amphioxus, a primitive relative of the dogfish, at different depths in the Pacific Ocean. Um, and I've always admired him for that. I still have his doctoral thesis, by the way, which was typed. Uh, and and I, as a child, I was him typing this with, with, with three um, carbon copies. And if you wanted, you couldn't just cut and paste and move things. You had to paint it out. And, yeah. Anyway, my, my dad, who was a wonderful Victorian gentleman, had a quiet faith, which I loved. But look at these guys here. Um, we've got um, Alistair McGrath, who is professor of science and religion at Oxford and a devoted follower of Jesus. I had the privilege of meeting and talking with him. Uh, who else is there? John Lennox, the Emerita Professor of Mathematics at Oxford uh, and an Emeritus Professor, uh, no, sorry, Emeritus Fellow in Mathematics and Philosophy of Science at Green Templeton College, Oxford. He's a nice boy too, I've met him. Um, he had a lovely story once when uh, the, the press came to him and said, uh, Richard Dawkins says that uh, Christians who are people who are afraid of, of the dark. What is your response? And his immediate response was, atheists are people who are afraid of the light. I thought that was <laughs> rather neat. Uh, the next guy with the little dinky moustache, uh, um, oh, there's a John Lennox book at the back uh, in the bookstore. Uh, Francis Collins was the former director of the Human Genome Project. Um, and, and he has written in his book, which is available at the back there, The Language of God, he's written in that book that his study of the process of the human genome further convinced him of the reality of God because of the complexity of what is there. And then the uh, guy on the right, 
uh, is Hugh Ross. Uh, he's an astrophysicist, and uh, his academic discipline brings him to a place where he looks at all of the created order in, in the universe and says, you know, when I look at that, there has to be a god. Well, there we go. Um, so that uh, was our look at uh, science overshadowing faith. There are wonderful godly Christians, too many to count, who are shamelessly followers of Jesus and see no clash whatsoever. If you have been uh, told uh, that these things are not true, rethink. So here are some questions that, uh, or comments that might be addressed to you. Uh, and I want to just look at you know, Science disproves God. Not true. Christians don't consider science but rely only on faith. Not true. Science is a constant truth and religion is always playing catch-up trying to fill the gaps. Not true. Jesus did not exist. Not true. So there are things we'll look at in a moment or two which are a matter of interpretation and consideration, but those things are simply untrue. And um, uh, one Oxford philosopher has used a, a primitive um, uh, theorem in terms of mathematics. Uh, what was it? Bayes' theorem. Uh, uh, and he's written in a peer-reviewed journal that the probability of Jesus having been raised from the dead worked out mathematically on the basis of the evidence we have is about 99%. Uh, another reviewer, not a Christian, in fact two guys working together, looked at every recorded comment evaluating the records of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and this was thousands and thousands of sources. And the conclusion was, unanimously, that those writers believed that the writers in ancient times believed without doubt that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Now, we could do another extensive discussion on the evidence, and, and actually, the circumstantial evidence for Jesus having been raised from the dead is extraordinarily high. Um, but we won't go down that path now. That is uh, science and faith. What about faith overshadowing science? Well, there are certainly uh, Christians who would argue this. Uh, let's have another look at a lovely verse of Jesus. Um, before he teaches the parable that most of you will be well familiar with of the Good Samaritan, he's having a discussion about what you need to do to be right with God. And this is Eugene Peterson's translation. Jesus says, what's written in God's law and how do you interpret it? It's a brilliant translation. Um, and uh, in the tradition traditional uh, translations, it says, uh, how, how do you read it? So what is written and how do you read it? It's a, a Greek verb, anagenosko, how do you know it up? And Jesus, of course, is following in rabbinic tradition in saying not only do you need to know what the scriptures say, but you need to know how you interpret the scriptures. And within this room, we will have a diverse selection of ways in which we look at scripture and interpret it. So what we're going to be looking at with the faith overshadowing science stuff is interpreting scripture that we have 
in the light of science that has been discovered. And um, a significant part of the background for this is a nice boy called Archbishop Usher, who was Archbishop of Armagh um, in um, Northern Ireland uh, in the late 17th century. And, and he had a, a neat little project which was working out the timing of the Bible. Uh, so he sat down to work through all of the records that are there. So I've just got to check and find the exact date of creation. I know it was 4004 BC, but yeah, I remember it was in October. Um, but uh, I didn't put it on my notes. Okay, sometime in October, 4004 BC. Oh, no, it's on the slide. Ah. If I had a brain, I'd be dangerous. So, uh, October the 23rd, 4004. Uh, and this was taken as normative for some hundreds of years until, of course, different sorts of truth became available for Christians to evaluate. Um, so, what is involved here is a discussion of... Where am I going, anyway? Oh, I see. That's interesting. You're lucky, I've lost a slide. Right, okay, that's going to take five minutes off. Um, if this is to look in the scriptures and compare uh, two different things um, uh, and look at them in relation to the science. That's a shame, that was a really nice slide. But there we go. Um, and the two issues are this. Uh, how did the universe come into being? Uh, according to Archbishop Usher, God done it and the earth was created on that October date at that particular time. Uh, depending on who you ask in the scientific field, the beginning of the universe was, I think, around 17 billion years, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, and the earth is, is millions of years old, and the times are different. There's also a difference in terms of the origin of humankind. In terms of traditional Christian teaching, this happened with Adam and Eve, specifically created by God, um, first man, of course, and, and then uh, a woman from a spare rib. And um, uh, these, these uh, are alternative choices. Now, for those who are passionate about the dominance of faith over science, they will simply point to Scripture. And there is loads and loads and loads of stuff. I haven't tried to summarize it this morning, but there's a website called answersingenesis.org that will look at all this stuff. And um, what they do is they, they draw into question a number of things that you probably have been taught in school, um, questioning issues to do with this whole business. At the heart of it is this. At the heart of it is, was God involved or not? And for the scientists of a certain persuasion, no evidence that God was involved. For those who are technically called young earth creationists, you know, God was involved but breaking in. Uh, and for those, we'll come on to in a few minutes' time, uh, who, who are the science and faith held together people, there is actually every possibility of combining these together. Now, those who say science, uh, sorry, faith trumps science, I don't like using that word now, but faith trumps science, um, have got a number of good things in their favour. Something that we need to honour them for is this. 
that they are passionately committed to the authority of Scripture. Now, I hope you are passionately committed to the authority of Scripture, but their passionate commitment is authority of Scripture in a different way. Uh, so they will talk about Scripture being infallible. They will treat Scripture as literally true. And their argument is a coherent argument. Some of it can be difficult to follow, but it's coherent. They deserve affirmation because they are willing to challenge the status quo. And what they say is that, that God intervenes. God gets into the process. God makes uh, changes. So you might see a pattern of development, but they would say that if there is evolution, it is within a species. And if a new species emerges, that is the sovereign hand of God. Now, I haven't wanted to give a, a, a red thumbs down to brothers and sisters in Christ, but here are some questions to address to them. Um, they are thought of as highly implausible to the majority of scientists. Remember, I'm, I'm saying the strict 4004 BCE uh, young earth creation. Um, and, and that is because of things like their attitude to the theory of evolution, uh, paleontology, uh, they say carbon-14 dating gets it all wrong, um, the possibility of spontaneous life, which scientists say that you know, the amino acids and so on, they, 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 can now, they, they can see the feasibility of a spontaneous creation of life. Uh, this is all um, refuted by these people. And, and I know from discussions about faith, if somebody assumes that all Christians take this view, then that is going to be an obstacle in terms of explaining to them the wonderful things that God has done for us in Jesus. Of course, you have to say, if they're right, then those problems don't exist. And so there is the possibility, um, uh, affirmed by a number of Christians, that this is the right way to see it. And who knows, they could be right. One day in heaven, we'll get the answers. There are questions that I would ask, though, and the first of them is this, what do you interpret as non-literal in the Bible? And one lovely friend of mine said, I don't interpret the Bible, I simply do what the Bible says. So I said, well, show me your right hand. You've still got one. Has that hand ever done something it should not do? Literally, Jesus says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye does something wrong, pluck it out. So what is interpretation and what isn't? Where is your proof? And here, here I think is a key one as well. Are these folk going to say, unless you embrace our understanding of origins, you cannot authentically come to faith in Jesus? And if they were to assert that, I would want to assert gently back to them. Not all Christians think the same as you. One of my favorite theologians, um, uh, whose name I can't remember, uh, but as you know, uh, Brian McLaren. Brian McLaren says, every time you tell somebody your interpretation of Scripture, make sure you tell them that it's your interpretation of Scripture and other ones are possible as well. So is it essential for salvation? I have got a slide for the next option, which is science and faith being in partnership. So um, Jesus says, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? And here is the claim. There was a big bang, but God banged the big, big bang. 
lovely phrase uh, shared with me by one of my year 11 students. So there was a big bang, but where, um, from a point of view of science, nobody has yet said how this came to be, uh, it's possible from a point of accepting science and faith to say, of course there was a big bang. Uh, you know, we're not going to fight what science says on that. But the unknown about how it happened is that it was initiated by God. Now, it is a perfectly valid answer uh, to say, as the philosopher um, Bertrand Russell once said about a, a not contentious question, we just don't know. And that is a coherent answer from a science-only point of view. We don't know how it started, but it is a coherent answer from a Christian point of view to say that God did it. And in terms of evolution, uh, to say that evolution did take place, and there are uh, complexities and questions in the fossil record, <laughs> but to say perhaps particularly in those places where we... Um, we find uh, a sudden jump in the fossil record. In those places, with the sudden jump in the fossil record, um, maybe God was breaking in with some intervention. Yeah? Perfectly feasible as an answer. So when you look at issues like uh, the balance of a response to scripture and geology and history uh, and uh, chemistry and, and all the rest of it, uh, it's possible to say that science tells us how and faith tells us why. And so interpreting scripture in a non-literal way, and you may or may not agree with these, what I'm doing is laying out possibilities for you. You could say that the Genesis accounts of creation, but there are two which are woven together in chapter 1 and 2, are poetic affirmations that God is the creator. Uh, it's possible to argue that the uh, Hayom, the day, uh, on the first day, these are uh, periods of time. Uh, makes sense when you study the Hebrew. Makes sense, actually, in English. If I tell you what used to happen in my day... I'm referring to my youth, not a specific 24-hour period. Uh, difficult evolutionary transitions might show God's intervention, which I've just said. Uh, and humankind need not have descended from Adam and Eve. Adam, actually, Adam, the Hebrew, means, means uh, man. Uh, so uh, there are interesting questions to address in taking that story um, as being literal and historical. Um, this is not the time to go into those. Oh dear, am I running out of stuff? I know you're going to be heartbroken. Uh. Oh, there we are. Yes, it's all coming into land. Um, right. So how are we going to evaluate this business um, of science of faith and faith seen in, in this way? There are those positives that um, can be seen. It's a coherent argument. Uh, it's something which reflects literary analysis of scripture. Um, one of the issues that we don't even see when we read a translation of the Bible is it's translated by the same committee. Uh, when you read in the original Bible languages, there's all sorts of personal traits that are there in terms of the language and the structure and the use and so on. And uh, Bible scholarship certainly says that there are things that are written as an affirmation of a faith history. There are things that are prophetic. There are things that are creative writing, like the whole wisdom stuff. 
Uh, in wisdom, by the way, you find a, an, an intriguing focus on what we can see in the world around us, so Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and Job. Um, all, all of that is stuff which makes sense uh, when you consider, for example, that the stories in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis may not, in fact, some would argue probably were not, written as science. They were an affirmation of God. So those are the pluses. Homepage. Ha <laughs> ha, we're there. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a question mark for those who, who are taking this interpretative stance. Uh, and this is an important one. Uh, it may look as though, by following a process of interpretation of Scripture, you are diluting the authority of Scripture. And for those who go down this path, this is a very serious issue to address. Um, people in that place may say we're not diluting it, we're actually making it more relevant, but the question deserves to be faced. So before we come to land, uh, just for fun, here are two little bits of science and faith speculation. If you hear these and your brain doesn't hurt, then there's something wrong with your brain. Um, if you bring together, as I was asked to do in my first term in Oxford as a theological essay, bring together the death and resurrection of Jesus, Einstein's theory of relativity that tells us that time is not simply linear but flows in and out of itself, and the theory of the infinite magnetic field of each atom. You with me so far? <laughs> then the death and resurrection of Jesus touches all of space and all of time. Isn't that wonderful? Time is not simply linear, time is interwoven. Everything has an infinite impact. Now, this next one, Sam's going to tell me I've, I've got it wrong. Um, but uh, Young's quantum experiment with the double slit. I, I did have a video for you on this. But in, in essence, and tell me where I've got this wrong, how, how does light function? Does it function like a particle? Yes, that first picture shows. The, so it's a left-hand picture. Pop all your protons through a double slit, and there on the screen behind you'll find two vertical lines. However, if you do it in a different way and stop looking, then instead of acting like particles, it acts like a sound wave. So you get a, what's called a diffusion pattern. And some of the uh, particles will go through one slit and some through the other slit. And some will go through both slits at the same time. And some will go round the edge of the screen. And they will end up hitting the screen in this diffuse pattern. So uh, when we look at the quantum nature of physics, what happens to the laws of nature? Ours is very simple. Uh, they don't work. According to quantum physics, at this atomic level, the impossible happens. So don't ever let somebody say to you, science only says what happens within the laws of nature. Because somehow in this quantum physics thing, the laws of nature are broken. Who could do that? Answers on a postcard, please. So, uh, back to my uh, first slide, I invited you to consider questions of science and faith. I suggested some of you might consider or have come in here considering that the overwhelming evidence shows that science is true and faith cannot stand. 
Some of you will have come in here with a belief in God, but an inability to be able to express that, or an unwillingness to engage in the questions with people who do not believe and pop up what look like scientific answers from the beginning. Now, our custom here at Trinity is when we come into land at the end of, uh, uh, of the preach, um, we invite response. Uh, and today I want to give you a diverse menu for your response. You, you can do the Trinity thing and come to the front and we will pray with you. And if anybody here has a specific prophetic word for somebody, by all means come uh, and tell uh, Tim or another church leader, test it out with them. Let me be blunt, I'm not really looking for anything like somebody here has backache. You know, that, that, that has probability in its favour. But if you hear something with clarity in the prophetic, check it and speak it. If you would like for prayer at the front about your faith, that's fine. Or turn to somebody close to you, that's fine. Or sit in silence as the musicians come and play musicians. If you're hiding somewhere, you can come out of hibernation and, yeah. Um, if you'd like to talk to me and ask me a question, I'm going to be down in the corner there. Come and do that. And uh, Tim's job at this stage is to listen to what the Father is speaking to us and pop anything else into the mix. And at some stage in a few minutes when all of that glorious confusion begins to wind down, uh, we can have coffee and I'll gladly talk with you more then. Uh, Father God, who is truth, Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Spirit of God, who shines into our hearts. Help us to see with more clarity what is your truth, what are our questions, what are our needs, and above all, what is your answer. In Jesus' name, amen.